Presidential candidate Barack Obama says the use of nuclear weapons is never an option. We'll discuss the implications of that statement. And Congress is about to adjourn for its August recess, but not before passing a massive health care bill. Is Hillary Care next? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. I believe we're all asking that question in different ways today about how could something like this happen. That's Minneapolis Mayor R.T. Ryback on CBS's The Early Show. Why, how could this happen in Minneapolis? This bridge that collapsed in rush hour, people plunging to their death, This show is about the Christian worldview. We're going to answer that later on in the show. How could this happen? Why could this happen? We're going to talk about the bridge to eternity, Penna. Also, Dr. Johnson, Congress is busy growing a children's health care bill. Now, who could be uh, against health care for poor children? But the trouble is the latest legislation passed in the House yesterday covers kids from families well above the poverty line. Here is former House Speaker Dennis Hastert speaking during the debate. He says the, the bill is a first step toward government-run universal health care. It's government-paid health care. It's Hillary care all over again. That's Dennis Hastert, and uh, we are going to talk about this in the next segment. Also, the fact that it dumbs down pro-life protections and abstinence education. So uh, a lot to, to talk about with regard to health care. All right, let me ask you folks, how do you feel about the idea of Muslim students in public schools getting a separate kind of treatment than Jewish students, Christian students, Hindu students. That is, in public schools paid for with taxpayer money, we've got Muslim students going into classrooms and religious teachers coming in to lead them in prayer and religious instruction. We're going to talk about that at the half hour. But first, let's talk about Barack Hussein Obama. Barack Obama running for president of the United States, sounding tough that he would go after the terrorist as president. I will not hesitate to use military force to take out terrorists who pose a direct threat to America. All right, so sounding tough. He's going to apply force. He went on to say he would go after the terrorist in Pakistan. It was a terrible mistake to fail to act when we had a chance to take out an al-Qaeda leadership meeting in 2005. If we have actionable intelligence about high-value terrorist targets 
and President Musharraf will not act, we will. All right, that's Senator Barack Obama. He's running for president of the United States, sounding tough on terrorism. But in a follow-up interview with an AP reporter, he was asked about nuclear weapons, Penna, and he said this. Here's the quote. I think it would be a profound mistake for us to use nuclear weapons in any circumstance. It's a very interesting quote. And then he said, involving civilians, and then he said, let me scratch that. There's been no discussion of nuclear weapons. That's not on the table. And the question we have about this is, uh, this man ready for prime time? Is that presidential? And with us to talk about it, we have Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel, National Security and Foreign Affairs Analyst for Radio and Television, Senior Strategist with the U.S. Army. Welcome, Colonel McGinnis. Well, thank you, Dr. Johnson. Colonel McGinnis, let me ask you this question uh, should a commander-in-chief, or any military man for that matter, say what he will not do when it comes to using a weapon system? No, that's a tragic mistake, uh, especially for someone that might become the President of the United States. There are circumstances which he is not even aware of where we may have to do things that uh, no one wants to do, but you have to do in order to protect this great country. Colonel McGinnis, it's Penna Dexter. Uh, Hillary got it right. I think she sort of nailed him on it. I have to say I agree with her uh, this time. But uh, Barack Obama's talking about how we should have, would have, should have taken out so-and-so. Second-guessing what we've done in the war on terror. Certainly mistakes have been made, but that's war, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Uh, he's talking about, of course, going into a sovereign country of Pakistan, uh, an ally of ours, and uh, it's that would be terrible uh, to provoke that country. They have internal problems. Musharraf have cooperated to a large degree. Uh, yes, there probably are in Wasiristan uh, some of the bad people that we'd like to get our hands on. But what most people don't understand is when the Brits divided up that part of the world, they arbitrarily put a border along the crest of those mountains that run 1,500 miles from one side of that country to another. And it's a no-man's land up there, incredibly hard to run. And uh, Pakistan doesn't and hasn't until recently put a, a number of forces up there trying to hunt for people. But that's an incredible mission. And so for us to just you know, go in there unilaterally and say we're going to do whatever we want anywhere in the world, I think is arrogant, stupid, and naive. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis. And uh, let me ask you, Colonel McGinnis, let's listen to Barack Obama. He says U.S. troops are fighting in the wrong place. The first step must be to get off the wrong battlefield in Iraq and take the fight to the terrorists in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Now, my question, Colonel McGinnis, is this. He says let's get off the battlefield in Iraq and take the fight to the terrorists somewhere else. But whether or not they were there before we went into Iraq... Aren't they there now? Doesn't everyone agree that al-Qaeda is there now? Well, certainly General Petraeus, uh, Ambassador Crocker, and all the people that I talk to on almost a daily basis in Iraq are convinced that al-Qaeda is very robust there. It is a drawing card for jihadists from all over the world that want to go and fight. And in fact, the deputy uh, to Osama bin Laden, Swahiri, has publicly said on many occasions that the center of the al-Qaeda effort is in Iraq. So if you really want to find the worst of the worst, you're going to go to Iraq, not somewhere else. 
Colonel McGinnis, a lot of people who are paying attention to this saw earlier in the week uh, that uh, a couple of critics of the war from the Brookings Institution uh, published a piece in the New York Times that talked about the progress. I mean, some people might want to squelch that type of news, but that's important, isn't it? Oh, it is. And I know those people, uh, Pollard and and uh, Michael O'Hanlon. O'Hanlon. I've traveled uh, at least with Michael over to Iraq before. Uh, yeah, I think they're they're pretty uh, right on the mark. Certainly, it corresponds with my observations and discussions with people of late. Now, we've made great progress in terms of security. The problem is, and as Petraeus and others have long said, it's a political issue. And here we are trying, 14 months into this Prime Minister Maliki's government, and trying to make them do incredibly tough things. You know, our Congress has imposed 18 benchmarks. These uh, include major pieces of legislation, countrywide reforms, and they want this all done immediately. Uh, our own country took many, many decades to really get you know, institutions in place and get things going. So to expect, I think, the, the Iraqis to do this overnight, which is essentially what an impatient Congress wants, uh, is naive at the best. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, thank you so much for that assessment and analysis, and we hope to have you back soon. Well, thank you, Dr. Johnson. All right, folks, we want your calls and comments. The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. And really, I think there are two questions here, Penna. We want to get some feedback from our listeners. Number one, how does it make you feel when a man running for president of the United States says we would never use nuclear weapons? Now, I want to say, as a, as a Christian, I think that the prospect of nuclear weapons and mass destruction I mean, I find that repulsive. I find it repugnant. I find it distasteful, and and you 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 hope that never happens. But in fact, uh, the commander in chief, for him to say what he would not do, you never do that. You know, Richard Nixon once wrote a book called "The Ten Commandments of Statescraft." Uh, actually, uh, one of his proteges wrote the book, but they they found this uh, index card in his desk after he died. And it has his Ten Commandments for Statecraft. And one of those commandments was, never tell your adversary what you will not do. And that is, you, you would not tell someone who's out to get you that you'd never shoot at him, or that you'd never declare war, or that you'd never use force. And our policy has been through the years of the United States is to, is to never say we would not do something because that actually emboldens your enemy. And here Obama is on the record uh, it would be a mistake for, mistake for us to use nuclear weapons in any circumstances. We want to know what our listeners think of that. The number is 800-881-9270. 800-881-9270. Is this commander-in-chief material? And he says, uh, oh, wait a minute, involving civilians. Wait a minute. Uh, let me scratch that. We never talked about nuclear weapons. You can't weapons. scratch it. Once you've said it, it's <laughs> so, out there. 800-881-9270. And I think the other question is this, Penna, for the listeners. Here, yesterday's Dallas Morning News, here's the headline uh, in um, the middle of the uh, a paper uh, segment, I think page three or four, U.S. deaths lowest in eight months. U.S. deaths lowest in eight months. Are we hearing this front and center as we would expect with the vote coming up in September? And um, we want to know what people think out there. 800 
9270. You know, one member of Congress, uh, sort of a top-ranking one, said that this was a problem, that they were that we were actually uh, making progress. It's a problem for the Democrats. That's because, as Bob McGinnis said, this has become a political football. But I want to go back a minute to Barack Obama, because a lot of times in presidential campaigns, when someone's running and, uh, they, you know, they're not running for re-election for president, they're running for the first time, they don't have a lot of foreign policy experience. And so you give them a little bit of slack for that. But the uh, the main issue in this campaign is the war. He's also been a senator. And for him to make stupid statements like this, signaling to the enemy what we do, this is what the Democrats have been doing. It shows, first of all, the weakness of the party, that party, on national security. But it also shows that he is absolutely not ready for prime time. Well, all right. In a related story, we are hearing of a plan to sell to the Saudis, Saudi Arabia, very advanced weapon systems. And uh, that's been a policy of the United States for quite a while mm-hmm. now. But Representative Anthony Weiner of New York, Weiner, I guess that's how you pronounce it, uh, really spoke out against this. And he is a Democrat. And uh, But uh, I thought this sounded kind of prophetic. I want you to listen to this. It's about a minute long. Are the Saudis our friends? Should we sell these weapons? We're told the Saudis are moderates. Well, here's who the Saudis are. Saudis are a country that sent us 15 of the 19 bombers on September 11th. They're the country that sends 45% of the foreign fighters that are fighting in Iraq. They're a country that have sent 50%, that have 50% of the foreigners that are in U.S. detention uh, for being enemy combatants are Saudis. They are Saudis who government textbooks in the eighth grade carry this sentence. The apes are the Jews, the keepers of the Sabbath, while the swine are the Christian infidels of the communion of Jesus. That's in the eighth grade government textbooks. They are a country that sends 70% of the suicide bombers on extremist websites around the world are Saudi citizens. And they are the funders of 50% of all international terrorism. They are not a nation that should be rewarded with a $20 billion, a $10 billion, or a $5 billion arms deal from this country. All right, from George Washington to Ron Paul to Pat Buchanan, I, and is this Democrat, is it time to rethink our foreign alliances with the Saudis and others like that who really are not, not with us in this um, war against radical Islam? We're going to talk about that in segment three, but coming up, Penna, what is it? Well, Dr. Johnson, House leaders thought it was going to be very easy to reauthorize this SHIPS Children's Health Care Program with a whopping increase, but it wasn't. The vote was along party lines. Is this incremental Hillary care? We're going to talk about it next. All right, and if you'd watch Hummingbirds, I'm going to talk about Rufus politicians on this matter. Just stay tuned. You'll get it. Generations of ministry leaders have one common point, a ministry education from the Criswell College in Dallas. To date, ministry leaders from the Criswell College are in service all over the world. With the fall term just around the corner, your education can follow this same distinguished path. An education from Criswell is grounded on the Christian worldview, witness, and God's Word, the Bible. The Word and Worldview focus of Chriswell gives you a more effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ and prepares you for kingdom service. The fall semester registration is August 15th, 16th, and 17th. Classes begin August 20th. See chriswell.edu for details on classes and the Master of Arts in Christian Leadership degree. 
Criswell students are ready for the challenges of today's ministry environment. Classes in evangelism, missions, preaching, communications, all are fully accredited and small class sizes point the focus to your success. Find out more at 800-899-0012 and on the web at criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. It's government-paid health care. It's Hillary care all over again. All right, that's Congressman Dennis Hassert. During debate on Capitol Hill, he says this new bill on the CHIPS program is a step towards universal health care. That's really the mantra of the Democrat Party right now. Here's House Speaker Nancy Pelosi celebrating the vote. The yeas are 225. The nays are 204. The bill is passed. And she's so excited she has difficulty really explaining what all this means. With the passage of this legislation, the New Direction Congress will ensure that 11 million of America's children receive health care coverage and, will see, and seniors will receive, receive improved benefits under Medicare. Okay, well, here's one other advocate for this program. And all of it sounds pious. It sounds good. It sounds generous. It's for the children. That's right. House Speaker, House Leader, Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, he says, hey, we'll, we'll expand this program. It is unacceptable and indeed immoral that millions of children in the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth do not have health insurance. And here's a question I'm going to have here about this, Penna. He says that they don't have health insurance. Do people need health insurance? Or is what they really need health care? And that's something we want to talk about in a few minutes. He, he says it's a problem they don't have health insurance. The real need is for health care. So let's talk about it with an expert. With us to talk about it is Tom McCluskey. He's Vice President for Government Affairs at the Family Research Council. And Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me on today. Uh, I, we know that the House passed this expanded SHIPS program, and of course uh, it was health care for poor kids, but it sort of moves up the income ladder, doesn't it? Right. Uh, poor kids are now defined if your parents make about $84,000 a year. Wow. Uh, which, I mean, in metropolitans like Washington, D.C., it might not sound all that much, but like in my hometown, way in, up in upstate New York, that's that's a pretty hefty sum for a family to be earning. Tom, when something like this is passed, doesn't this squeeze out people getting their own insurance who can't afford it or companies providing insurance for their employees? Doesn't this start to kind of move us toward government health care? Right, and it's not just people who can't afford it. If people have the option between what is called free health care, I mean, even though, of course, it's taxpayer funded, or having to pay for it themselves, they're obviously the free health care. and. Right. It's, it's squeezing out private insurance companies. Uh, the Republicans, actually, they got a little testy on this. It was a battle. I don't think Democrats expected uh, such a fight, did they? I don't think so, and specifically because I, I wish I'd counted how many times Nancy Pelosi invoked the children yesterday, but in her final speech it was at least four times, and that's what they're trying to They're trying to do everything for the children, but not quite telling people that, well, it's your children are going to end up paying for it. Tom, will you tell us exactly what this expanded bill does? Well, it, it, it expands the coverage, just as they said, except at the same time, 
um, to pay for it. They've cut back some coverage for senior citizens, which I think is probably going to be a matter of contention for a number of senior citizens when they're back in their district. And they also raised a number of taxes, including tobacco taxes, to help pay for a lot of this. And additionally, they cut all funding for abstinence in this bill. Uh, they, traditionally, a lot of abstinence funding was done in this bill. And they've also changed a rule, something called the Onborn Child Rule, where now states um, states can cover abortion. They'll be more free to cover abortions. And that's one of the purposes. Mm-hmm. Of the oh, line. that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, Tom McCluskey is our guest. Thank you so much, Tom. Let me ask you a couple other questions here because sure. um, I actually I want us to listen um, here to some of the critics, because we've just heard one side here from Congressman. Here's Congresswoman Marsh Blackburn from Tennessee. She says this is a step towards universal health care. It moves patients towards a universal government-run health care system that shifts patients from private care to a massive government entitlement program. All right, let me ask you this, uh, Tom. I mean, we have the moral and ethical concerns about abortion, that's for sure, but... What about the specter of universal health care? Um, are you afraid of that? I, I'm definitely afraid of it. It's, as I mentioned before, I grew up in upstate New York, right on the Canadian border, and they have a form of universal or socialized health care. And I, I can tell you it's a scary thought. My mom is a nurse, and she would come almost weekly and tell stories about how Canadian doctors and nurses would come to the United States and patients because they they would have, for life-saving operations, they would have to wait months, if not years, up in Canada. And once you start rationalizing health care, it's going to have the same efficiency as the post office and the DMV. All right, let's listen to Dr. David Cook again. Hold on the line, if you would, there, Tom. This is Dr. David Cook of Oxford University, teaches at Green College. That's the medical college in Great Britain, where we're always hearing about why can't we have universal health care. The Canadians have it. The Brits have it. Here's Dr. Cook. Well, I can tell you, you can have a British healthcare system if you're willing to pay the level of taxation that it costs. You can have a British healthcare system if you take away choice from the individuals and you have to go to set doctors in set times. You can have a British healthcare system if you're willing to accept the delays. Tom, what's your reflection on that British perspective? I think I think he's exactly right. In in countries that have tried universal healthcare, uh, be they socialist communist countries like Cuba to somewhat democracies uh, like the United Kingdom or Canada, it's always the same thing. And it's always that people are, end up being taxed and also having no choice in their health care. All right. Now, Tom, this show is about the Christian worldview. When people talk about helping children and helping the poor, I mean, those are Christian virtues. And the Bible is clear that we have an obligation to help poor the poor, to help widows, to help orphans, to help children. Um, what do you say about that? Because Christians might feel conflicted about this kind of policy. What's your view? Well, there is legislation. And, and uh, Senator Coburn and Senator Martinez have a bill that when you offer more choice in health care, you find that prices go down and also it's easier to offer it than to those who do not have health care. Um, by trying to impose a government-mandated system, Everybody suffers, but what needs to be found is a way where the people aren't penalized for doing well, and the people who do need care and need help get that help, and usually through um, private enterprise is the best 
route to do that. Tom, uh, Family Research Council is always watching legislation. I know that this passed the House and the Senate is looking at it and, and should pass its own version this week. Do you think President Bush will veto this because of the expanded costs going beyond what he had advocated? Well, um, it'll, of course, go to conference, and the House and the Senate will iron out their differences. Yeah, that probably shouldn't matter because President Bush issued statements on both the House and the Senate version that he would veto both bills. Uh, and I'm confident he'll do that, and with the vote yesterday in the House, that veto will be sustained. But this really shows us where the push is and what we're going to get, especially if we have a change in party in the White House. That's exactly right. And a lot a lot of the legislation we're seeing, um, I, I swear sometimes you could see Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton almost wink cameras that you just wait. You just yeah. wait. So when we have the White House, things will be different. Tom McCluskey, the Family Research Council, thank you so much for being with us. Right, well, thank you for having me on. All right, folks, let's uh, talk about this just a little bit more because this there's no such thing as a free lunch. And here's Senator Mitch McConnell on the cost of this so-called free health care. It will significantly raise taxes, increase spending, and lead to government-run health insurance. Okay, so it will cost. Someone will pay. You will pay. And it will be a government-run system. And right now... We're awash in red ink, which reminds me that President Bush has just got on to Congress for sending him uh, a budget increase, and they claim it's only minor. Here's President Bush on that note. One called this increase, and I quote, a very small difference from what I proposed. Only in Washington can $22 billion be called a very small difference. $22 $22 billion. Uh, I think that Senator Everett Dirksen years ago said a $1,000 here, a million dollars there, 100000 here. It's only money. After a while, we're talking about real money. Well, certainly $22 billion, that is a lot of money. And here they're adding more with this new uh, program. You know, I mentioned the hummingbirds earlier, Penn. I've mm-hmm. been reading the book of Proverbs lately in my devotionals, and we see a lot in that book. This show is about the Christian worldview, about work, diligence, savings, family inheritance, and the presumption of the Bible is that families take care of their own people. And then that the community of faith in the Old Testament, the Jewish community, and the New Testament, the church, they take care of their people, and they take care of their community. But uh, in America, we seem to think that Caesar owes us some sort of entitlement. And I think that's a wrong mentality, and it leads to trouble. And while I was on vacation in Colorado, I was watching the hummingbirds at my mother's house. And if you've watched these hummingbirds, there's something called the Rufus hummingbird. And um, I think you can observe something there about human nature. When you give out free free food like you do to hummingbirds, you give out the free sugar, you give out the free food, um, they all flock. And they all start fighting over the free money, the free food, the free provision. And that's what we've got going on in Washington, D.C. And the Rufus Hummingbird is the one that fights all the others. Even if he's not drinking from that fountain, he doesn't want any of the others getting any of it. And I see that on Capitol Hill. We are giving out so much money to so many people, many of them who do not need it. And um, I really believe we've got to look back to the family, to the church, to the local community to help the poor, to help the needy. Uh, to help the homeless. We cannot look to Washington, D.C., because when we're giving out the free goodies, 
Everybody's fighting. Nobody's happy. And you really can't administrate it. Well, when we come back, how do you feel about Muslim school children getting prayer leaders, scripture teachers, doctrinal teachers in public school? You don't see that for the Christians. In fact, it's illegal for Jews or Christians. But uh, the Muslim imams are on the way in your local public school. We'll talk about it. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. All right, you want to stay tuned in the next few days. Have you heard about The Secret? It's the buzz. It's Oprah. It's everywhere. We're going to be talking about The Secret in the next few days, particularly next Monday and Tuesday. You'll be listening in to Jerry Johnson Live. We're going to do a major expose on this phenomenon, phenomenon The Secret. Also, tomorrow, tune in. We'll have our final segment on Harry Potter. Many have been wanting to weigh in. We have more uh, exclusive interview material from Oxford, England, on the release of the final Harry Potter book and the new movie, of course. You don't want to miss that. You can weigh in on this. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it indifferent? We want your calls and comments tomorrow. Listen in, all right? And I think we've given everybody plenty of time to read that book, don't you? We're going to wrap it up tomorrow mm-hmm. night, and I hope folks will call in. We'll have other issues as well. But, folks, how do you feel about this? Your child cannot see the Ten Commandments in public school. They cannot have a Bible study. They cannot pray out loud. Certainly your pastor, a Bible teacher, can't come into public school uh, and do Jewish instruction or Christian instruction. But wait a minute. There can be a kind of Muslim instruction There can be a a pulling out of Muslim students. They go in a room, and Islamic teachers come in, public schools, and give instruction. A Christian law firm says there's a double standard when it comes to accommodating religious practices at public schools and universities. We've got a report now from One News Now. We want you to listen to this and call in. We want your reaction on this one. USA Today recently reported that some public schools and universities are granting Muslim requests for prayer times, prayer rooms, and ritual foot baths. Richard Thompson is the chief counsel for the Thomas More Law Center. He says at Carver Elementary School in San Diego, officials created an extra recess to accommodate Islamic prayers. Muslim students were allowed to go into this room, the door was locked, and a Muslim teacher led the students in prayer. The Supreme Court of the United States has forbidden those kinds of activities for Christians. Thompson says that places like the University of Michigan-Dearborn, Muslim students, have also been given preferential treatment. He says it is all part of a concerted effort to force everybody else to accept their religion. They're interested in ultimately creating an Islamic state. They said, even 10 years ago, we are not here in America to be equal with other religions. We are here to make Islam dominant and have an Islamic country in this nation. Thompson says the Thomas More Law Center hopes to file lawsuits in both the Carver Elementary and University of Michigan-Dearborn cases. I'm Chad Groening. You know, I have no idea where the ACLU is on this. If this were Christian practice taking place in these schools, they'd be right there. But I did see uh, one comment made by someone who said that uh, they have to give these folks an extra recess because uh, they have to pray to Mecca five times a day, and they need that extra recess to do that. Also, the foot baths are necessary because many Muslims have to wash their feet before prayer. And uh, they're doing so right now in sinks. Uh, This one person says they'd rather have the foot baths rather than have someone wash their dirty feet in the sink they used to wash their hands. 
Well, there is a good bit of this double standardness mm-hmm. going all over the place. We've we've read about the cab drivers, uh, the Muslim cab drivers who won't uh, take folks with seeing eye dogs, anybody that has alcohol coming into the cab. Um, and we've heard about this in the the Dallas Fort Worth area, for instance, over in Garland. These. Cultural studies books, which are profiling religions, maybe one page, half a page on Christianity, but the Muslim section of the textbook, page after page after page, actually teaching the children. This is out in California as well. Here's here in the Dallas area, teaching the students how to pray, leading them through a Muslim prayer. There's a kind of a double standard pen, and we want to know what you think about it out there. The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. Should our public schools, supported with taxpayer money, be accommodating um, this kind of religious instruction for Muslims, particularly in the context of uh, all that's been happening since 9-11? Is this really what we want at our public schools to provide a kind of... Uh, Second-rate midrasa in the public schools are right here where we are. You know, it's one thing to learn about the religion of Islam, one of the great you know, historical um, religions, and we can learn about its influence on the world. But when it comes to the practice of a religion, Christianity is always squeezed out when there's a hint of Christianity being practiced in a public place. So for these types of activities to be funded, to be required in public schools, does seem like a major double standard. Okay, there's another take on this story now. Mm. We've got um, some other kinds of schools. We've heard of magnet schools and charter schools, art schools and so forth. Uh, We're now hearing of some Arabic Muslim kinds of schools. So the whole school really is about um, their language, their culture. Here's another report from One News Now about this development. The Khalil Gibran International Academy is projected to open its doors in September 2007. But a citizens group known as the Stop the Madrasa Community Coalition says Mayor Michael Bloomberg and the New York City Department of Education have refused to address community concerns about just what will be taught in the school. Sarah Springer is a resident of Brooklyn and a leader in the coalition. We have asked to see what the lesson plans are, where the textbooks are coming from, who the teachers are, will they be accredited, will they have an Islamic slant in their teaching, and no answers, nothing satisfactory, only platitudes, non-responsive answers have been given. And Springer says the woman chosen to be the school's principal has questionable connections. Al-Mantasser has documented ties to terrorist organizations. She was given a national award from CARE. Springer says the Stop the Madrasa Community Coalition must have some answers before it decides what action it might take in regard to the school. I'm Chad Groening. All right, folks, what do you think? Islamic instruction in the public schools? Entire public schools devoted to this worldview and to this culture. We are taking your calls right now. We've got Peggy on the line from Dallas. Peggy, thank you for calling and holding. What's your view, Peggy? My view is I think you should throw a net over all of them and send them back home. <laughs> why, I really mean it. And why, why is that, Peggy? Well, this is a Christian nation, and we, we believe in God, our God, one God. Mm. And we certainly, uh, we, there's no room for another God. Well, Peggy, uh, you know, I appreciate your sentiment, and, um, you know, America was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, and I think there was a, a, a real unity, a worldview kind of a unity from Jewish folks, Catholic folks, evangelical folks, Protestant Christian folks, 
But if you have, for instance, the atheistic, secularistic worldview, which Russia had, China still has, you have a different kind of culture, a different kind of government, a different kind of law. But also, if you have the Islamic worldview, you have a different kind of culture, a different kind of education, a different kind of law. And I think, uh, while I might say it a little different than you did, uh, I would say we cannot have both uh, a Judeo-Christian culture, society, worldview um, informing our institutions, undergirding all of our institutions and the culture, and at the same time, an Islamic worldview. It cannot be. The way we treat women will be different. The way we would treat other religions will be different. The way we would treat the notion of conversion will be different. We do not want to recreate Saudi Arabia, or certainly not Iran, in Texas. We're headed that direction, I think, with these proposals. You know, uh, right now, our public schools are secular, and they try to keep them secular. And to, to introduce a public school taxpayer-funded, this distinctively Muslim. I mean, you've got the uh, the chancellor there in New York saying that this school is going to be monitored and it would be closed down if there were any religious or Islamic slant to the education, which is ridiculous because that's what it is. And, you know, in a sense, it would be very hard to close something down once it's open. I remember uh, back when they opened the Harvey Milk homosexual high school in New York City. They, they seem to like these distinctive high schools, but they're not based on good distinctives. All right, we've got Linda on the line from Fort Worth. Linda, thank you for calling. What do you think about this Muslim instruction in public school? Well, I think it should not be, and I would encourage the Christians, the intercessors, all the churches together, the prayer groups together, and assign parents to go in and collect our Christian children I, and non-Christians to start praying in America. That's salt and light, and we need to be that salt and light because it will dispel darkness. Hey, I like that spirit and that attitude. We need to be about praying. We need to be about salt and light. There are a lot of Christians out there in the school system, and we need to stand up. If others are going to uh, talk about Allah, we need to be talking about Jehovah. If others are going to talk about Muhammad, we need to be talking about Jesus, and we need to use it as an opportunity um, if there's going to be a, a wedge in the door for somebody, Christians ought to walk through it. Jody on the line from Dallas. Jody, thank you for calling. What do you think, Jody? I think that uh, we're in a battle for our children's souls right now, and we're coming to a time where homeschooling is going to be the only option for a Christian unless we make some serious changes in, in the public school arena now. We, as Christians, we have to find a voice and and. We have a lot of battles that we need to fight, and this one with the public school, it influences our children's future and the future of this nation, and I think that we really, really need to stand up and, as parents of school-age children, get involved in our schools. We do. Well, we can't just homeschool. I mean, we may want to homeschool our kids, but the reality is is that most kids aren't homeschooled. Now, these new, this New York school, you get to choose it, so it'll be really an enclave for, for Muslim kids. But still, is that, a, is that a wise thing? I don't think it is. And is that something the taxpayers should be paying right. for? We don't see a kind of a Christian school like this. Is there, a, is there a Christian school in the Dallas Independent School? Is there a Christian school in the Dallas Public School District or Fort Worth? Or Waco, 
or Wichita Falls? I don't think so. I don't think anybody's doing that out there. But certainly there are a lot of Christian students, but uh, they don't get to look at the Bible, the Ten Commandments. They don't have pastors coming in to pray with them. We've got more calls on the line. We'll take yours, 800-881-9270. We're also going to talk about this bridge in Minneapolis and calling it uh, the Bridge to Eternity. We're going to talk about the Christian worldview lessons, really, in the last 24, 48 hours uh, from that bridge. Stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. It's Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll be back. Generations of ministry leaders have one common point, a ministry education from the Criswell College in Dallas. To date, ministry leaders from the Criswell College are in service all over the world. With the fall term just around the corner, your education can follow this same distinguished path. An education from Chriswell is grounded on the Christian worldview, witness, and God's Word, the Bible. The Word and Worldview focus of Chriswell gives you a more effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ and prepares you for kingdom service. The fall semester registration is August 15th, 16th, and 17th. Classes begin August 20th. See chriswell.edu for details on classes and the Master of Arts in Christian Leadership degree. Chriswell students are ready for the challenges of today's ministry environment. Classes in evangelism, missions, preaching, communications, all are fully accredited and small class sizes point the focus to your success. Find out more at 800-899-0012 and on the web at chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. All right, we're back. We're going to talk about the bridge in just a moment. But uh, first, we're talking about the fact that taxpayer money is being used to fund schools that are providing religious instruction to Muslim children. And this is a growing trend. And also, special schools just devoted to these kinds of children. What do you think of that? We've got Rob on the line from Arlington. Rob, thank you for calling and holding. We want your view. Yes, Jerry. Uh, this is Chaplain Rob from General Motors. Uh, the Founding Fathers uh, put on our denominations of money, uh, e pluribus unum, from the many, one. Yes. I do. And just as you so eloquently said about the uh, fact that we serve one God and we don't have room for two is uh, such a truth that we are fighting for not the soul of our kids, but for the soul of America. Well, thank you, Rob. You know, it was what was really strange a few years ago as Al Gore was giving a speech and he reversed that slogan by accident. He said the slogan was, out of one many. And he said, so our, our strength is our diversity, and we need to affirm our diversity and reinforce our diversity. And um, it was, you know, just kind of a matter of ignorance that he did that. But uh, bless his heart, he was trying. Mm-hmm. But it actually made the, the point, I think, that the, the Founding Fathers had a vision of out of many, one and that we were one nation under God. And, of course, our nation added that slogan to the pledge when we were up against the Soviets in the Cold War. And Eisenhower and others said, look, we that is the difference between America and Russia. Um, Russia is a country under man, secular man. America is a country under God, the Judeo-Christian God of the Bible. We're not under Allah, and it just won't work 
to say that we are, and I think it's dangerous for these children. we got Ted on the line from Fort Worth. Ted, what do you think? Well, Jerry, uh, first off, let me, let me preface this by saying I'm a conservative Christian. I work for Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Great. Um, but I want to take this from a secular point of view. Uh, I think they're being schizophrenic at a secular point of view because we've spent all this time, uh, rightfully so, fighting apartheid in South Africa and fighting apartheid in America with Brown v. the Board of Education. Yes, yes. And now we're saying tax dollars are going to make Muslim children in New York City separate but equal. Well, I think you're right good about point. Yeah, I think that's good. Even from the secular point of view, this is a very inconsistent kind of a policy. Thank you, You know, Ted. we've been talking about immigration reform and how we need to assimilate people in this country. We certainly are a diverse country with regard to the people that live here. But it's not wise from a national security perspective, especially with the Muslim religion, which we've discussed many times on this program, but also the idea that you would actually pull out a group. I mean, are we going to have schools for every group of people that immigrates to this country? No. We need to have schools that integrate people into the culture and into the history of America. Well, we'll follow this story as it develops. Let's go to Minnesota, the I-35 bridge collapse, a tragedy. And I think there's some spiritual lessons here. This show is about the Christian worldview. Let's talk about it. I want us to hear Jeremy Hernandez. He's the gym coordinator with the Waite House Youth Program. He was with children from that program on the school bus that was on the bridge when it collapsed. He said it was a very frightening experience. I just heard a big bang, and I thought we were in a car accident. But then I felt the bus going down because I felt like I was going over the seat. And then it crashed, boom, it landed, and then it felt like we kept still going because then it went down again, then it crashed, and it stopped. Well, Penna, this just tells me people are in shock out there, people mm-hmm. who went through this. And we certainly need to be praying for these people. Well, speaking of prayer, I got an email from a good friend of mine whose sister was actually on the bridge uh, when it collapsed. And she said you could actually see her car on television because it was in the V of the bridge. She walked away. uh, She fell 30 to 50 feet, and she had to go to the hospital. I don't know now whether she had any broken bones, but uh, at least she survived. I mean, they are still looking for... Uh, cars and things. So prayer is the order of the day. Uh, and, you know, we all need to be praying. There's so many unknowns there, but God knows. Well, maybe a little soon to be asking this question, but people always ask the question, why? And uh, let's listen to the mayor of Minneapolis, Mayor Ryback. He's on the CBS Early Show asking this question. I believe we're all asking that question in different ways today about how could something like this happen. Uh, The uh, U.S. Secretary of Transportation uh, and uh, a collection of state and federal officials will be meeting with me this morning and we'll be going through those issues. All right, why? Why? Of course, he's talking about the human perspective. Many people would say, you know, why would God allow it? But I'll tell you what this does remind us from the Christian worldview, that we are fallen people, sinful people, flawed people, forgetful people, and there's some human error involved here in this bridge and the safety checks and so forth. It just reminds us that man is so limited, you know. We are a fallen people, and we do we mess up, you know, and that's just the fact. But let's move on to another aspect of this. Here's the governor, Tim Pawlenty, talking about the tragedy but a silver lining. This is obviously a horrific incident that takes your breath away and, and sinks your heart, and in the horror of this incident, there is a silver lining, and that shines through, and that is the goodness of Minnesotans. All right. Well, I like Minnesota, and 
Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of good people up mm-hmm. there, but I want to take this to the church because I know that the church is the people of God or to minister as the body of Christ. And any time there's a tragedy like this, uh, if we have the Christian worldview, uh, while we may not know the whys, we can know about our response. We mentioned prayer, but this is the time for the church to be the church and uh, for Christians in that area to step forward. Their churches, their Sunday schools, deacons, pastors, laymen, you know, gathering around neighbors, people who've lost loved ones, people right now who don't know. I mean, there are 20 or so people missing right now. We've heard just fairly low death count, but probably, in fact, we're going to have 20 or 30 people by the time this is over. So this is the time for the church to be the church. We don't have to know why it happened, but we are the body of Christ, and we need to step up to the plate and be salt and be light in a situation like this. Finally, though, I want us to listen to Sheriff Richard Stanick, and he talks about the recovery of the dead. We've had a difficult time trying to reach those vehicles. Difficult time because of the current in the water. Uh, difficult time because of the debris in the water. All right, they're trying to recover bodies, Penna, and there are a lot of people that are just dead. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't think when people drive across bridges, they're normally thinking about this. And certainly these people yesterday were not thinking, as they went across that bridge, I'm on my way to eternity. But that was, in fact, the case. And this reminds us that life is a vapor. The Bible teaches that. You know, we say we're going to do this tomorrow, that tomorrow. Jesus said, don't say you're going to do this tomorrow, that tomorrow. You don't know. Uh, if God wills, you may do this tomorrow, that tomorrow. Um, we don't know if we have a tomorrow. And uh, that's why the Bible says, now is the day. Now is the time. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. Um, now is the time of salvation. Harden not your hearts. And so this is the urgency. Eternity is at stake. Whether you're driving or sleeping or going to the hospital or doing work, uh, you don't know. And this is why you need to look to Jesus. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. We can be forgiven And we can be changed if we trust Him as Savior to forgive us, as Lord to change our life. It's an urgent matter, a matter of eternity. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m., for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.